Good morning, church. How are you? Good. You're looking great. So good to see you. I see that we have a lot of, uh, a number of first-time guests. Welcome. The Exchange is a place where purpose is awakened and developed, and we're so excited that you're here. Um, For all of our family, old family that's been here, we want to say welcome. Glad to see you. Glad to see all of you. And right now we're doing family church, and I I don't know, I keep celebrating the fact that we have kids in here and it's family church, I think it's amazing. I think the kids are doing phenomenal. But I heard last week after church that when I say how awesome it is, the parents look at each other like, oh, we need to be praying for e-kids to come back online. Okay. So, all right. So we've got volunteers for e-kids. That's amazing. <laughs> now we um, do be praying about that. I want to see where the Lord takes us and when to initiate that. Uh, I'm, I'm, of course, loving the old school, you know, family church, but I understand that it's a constraint for parents that need this time to focus. Um, so we're going to be praying about that. Um, if you're willing to volunteer, uh, eKids doesn't run itself. Um, so <laughs> we have one eKids volunteer that confirms that. Um, gosh, thanks. Um, so feel free to let us know if you want to volunteer for that uh, whenever it does come. Typically, uh, you know, in a setting like this, what's difficult, and I need to just make this quick because I've got too much to preach today to spend time on this, but what's difficult is we're in a season where um, we are trying to provide medium-sized church encounters with small church attendance, if that makes sense. And so it makes it pretty difficult. Several, many of our volunteers, quite honestly, are working every, working, good grief, serving every single week and every single Thursday. So um, we're, I'm just super excited to have the team that we have right now. I understand your pain as parents, uh, ready for e-kids. It's coming soon, all right? That's my word. In Jesus' name, God is going to fulfill that. All right, so what's going on in world news before I get into my topic today. Um, I just want to update you. A lot has happened this week. I've been talking quite a bit about um, end times, specifically on Wednesday, and I see that a lot of my Wednesday crowd is here on Sundays in the room. Um, So I want to take a moment to update you. Uh, Just this week, Russia has said that they're setting up a military base in Sudan. This is huge. Um, Why is that huge? Well, we know that Russia and Sudan are part of the five nations that will invade Israel in the Gog and Magog War. We see it all coming to pass. It's slowly unfolding. Slowly is not the best word. It's actually unfolding very, very quickly. Um, I'm I'm just like, I don't know, I get so excited every day. I wake up at 3 or 4, 2 in the morning, and I check my news apps, and I just see what's going on because, you know, in the Middle East, it's a different time zone. So there's a lot happening while I'm sleeping. It's almost hard for me to sleep. Uh, but there's a lot going on. Uh, also, this morning around 6.30 a.m., Austin time, Iran was proud to display a huge, heavy warship. Um, it has, it's equipped with surface-to-surface missiles and anti-aircraft missiles, And they said in the article, Iran said um, that they could have every right to move beyond the Persian Gulf. It is well within their right to travel and uh, show their presence and do assignments in the Indian Ocean. So if you know anything about the 
geography of the world, the Indian Ocean takes it to a whole nother level. That would put them, of course, near India. That would put them near Australia. Um, it would put them just right where uh, we don't want someone to be that is so unpredictable, right, with that much power. So we're watching that. Um, we know that Iran is a part of the Gog Magog coalition as well. So things are heating up. And then when worship started, I got a notification from one of my news apps. I can't confirm it yet, but I did read that the U.S. just pulled out of an agreement with Russia regarding uh, flyover airspace. So things are heating up. And that's, it's exciting to see the Bible unfold. I tell everyone it's nothing scary, right? Um, because the, the Lord has already told us what's going to happen. I'm just sitting back and all like, how can anyone say God is not real? Yeah. Like this stuff was written 2,500 years ago, 2,700 years ago, and we see it unfolding detail for detail. And thankfully, we know the end of the story. You and I win, right. right? We don't have to be afraid of our demise. We are believers in Jesus. We win. So, all right, moving on to my series. Uh, today, I'm in Ben's Reading the Bible, part five. I've been going through an overview of the Bible, the entire Bible from Genesis to Revelation. The Old Testament we just completed last week. It has 39 books. Uh, it goes from the creation of the world all the way to just prior to the birth of Jesus. And at the close of the Old Testament, I told you there was approximately 400 years of God's silence. Yeah? Now we begin, uh, well, let's see. What did we cover? What were the books that we covered? We covered the Pentateuch, right? Which is the first five books, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. We covered the history books. We covered wisdom and poetry. And we covered the prophets. Now, I hope that this series has brought many of us some clarity, at least on the structure of the Bible, maybe even stirred a passion in you to read your word a little bit more. I hope that things are starting to come together and starting uh, to make sense. But let us pray before I head into my topic for today. Father, I come before you. God, I'm so excited about your word. I'm just so in love with what you are revealing to your people and um, how you are not a God that should lie. And everything you have declared has, has come to pass, is coming to pass, and will come to pass. So, Father, we just ask that you would stir within us today. In Jesus' name I pray. Let the church say, amen. 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 I have a lot of material, so it, if I feel like I'm rushing, feel free just to do some nonverbal sign to me, like simmer down, pastor, okay? Because I might go a little too fast. I want to make sure that you grasp this. It's, it's pretty pivotal in theology. What we're heading into is pretty fundamental, but also critical that you get it. Um, I've already told my sons, Jordan and Tristan, that they will be quizzed after church. So they're taking good notes, and you are welcome to take notes too. The New Testament that we're heading into, there's a, a group of books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, they have a name. This combination of books has a name. Does anyone know the name of these four books of the Bible? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Anyone? The Gospels. Very good. The Gospels. We call this group the Gospels. Now, I wonder, that, that's a great 
Great job, by the way. You, you got it. How many of us can list the audience of each book? That takes it a, a bit to a, a deeper level, like each gospel, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is speaking to a specific audience. And it would do us well to know who that audience is because that helps with interpretation. Okay? The book of Matthew is speaking to the Jews. The Jews would only listen to one of their own, so Matthew it is. Matthew was a, a good little Jew, and he was the one that was speaking to the Jews. You will notice in the book of Matthew, um, there's a lot of scripture reference and prophecy reference of old because he's trying to make the correlation to the Jews and draw them in. So the book of Matthew, not, not that there's not stuff for you, there's stuff for you. It's just not to you. It's to the Jews. Don't be jealous, okay? If you're a Gentile, you're supposed to make the Jews jealous. Don't be jealous of the Jews because they got the book of Matthew written to them. But it's, it's still a, a great book. We're going to spend a lot of our time in the book of Matthew today. What about Mark? The book of Mark was written to the Romans, to the Roman people of the time. These were leaders and Leadership and action impress them. So if you want to read the gospel story in a fast-paced, high-hitting, car-chase kind of scene, read the book of Mark. Now, now, Mark is speaking not only to the Romans of his day, but this would be the book that we want our CEOs, business leaders, our movers and shakers to read the book of Mark. They will really get into this picture of Jesus that is painted because it's just, it's fast, it's moving, there's no like frilly stuff in there. So Mark was written to the Romans, um, Matthew was written to the Jews, the Jews then and the Jews today, by the way, or any person that is caught up in highly religious activity will be able to connect with the book of Matthew. Matthew, Mark, Luke, who was Luke written to? Luke was written to the Greeks, the Greeks. Now, Luke was a Greek, so that's helpful that Luke was a Greek. He's speaking to the Greeks. The Greeks loved culture, beauty, ideas. Um, happiness could be found in the pursuit of truth. So Luke fills his book with insights, interviews, songs, and details that fascinate the inquiring mind. So today, today, any truth seekers that you know, I just want to know the truth. I'm just looking for the truth over here, and I'm looking for the truth over here. Send them to the book of Luke, because Luke is speaking to truth seekers, the Greeks. Then we have the book of John. John. John contains the most famous scripture of all, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever... You with me? You've heard this before. Who was John talking to? John was talking to everyone. Everyone. This is why uh, it, it, we get so much detail in the book of John. He has a very wide audience, and I'll tell you why he's talking to everyone. The book of John was written after the previous three Gospels. It was written around the time that John wrote the book of Revelation. So he's going back. He's already read the previous three Gospels, and he's filling in a lot of the details to help things come together and make sense from the previous three Gospels. So, so John's story is really for everyone. And side note, because the book of John is for such a wide audience, 
It's the book that I often encourage most people to begin their Bible reading journey on, right? Because I don't know where people come from, their backgrounds or whatever. I encourage them, if they're new to the Bible, start with the book of John. It gives a beautiful picture of Jesus. It gives a beautiful picture of um, the, the story of the birth, burial, resurrection, uh, but it fills in all the gaps that other books may have left. So John is good. Now the overarching theme of the Bible, the whole Bible. I told you the themes of each, each book in the Old Testament, right? <sighs> I'm sorry? Oh. Oh, that was the power of God that broke that chain. Thank you. Um, I wondered, I kept seeing signals, and I'm like, Am I fine, honey? Okay. Um, the overarching theme of the Bible is quite simple. God with us. The story of Adam and Eve in the garden, God with us. The children of Israel in the wilderness, God with us. The story of Bethlehem, God with us. The, the story of Jesus feeding the 5,000, God with us. The story in, in Revelation, right? The, the end of days when the millennial kingdom is set up, God with us. That is the overall theme of the Bible. But the Gospels have dig, dig a little bit deeper in, into the theme. And the, the overarching theme of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, is this. Jesus is God, and Jesus is king. Okay? Jesus is God and Jesus is King. So this, my friends, is where the surface view of the gospel stops. And with your permission, I would like to take a deep submarine dive into doctrine. Can we do that? Do you want to go really, really deep with me? I promise to make sure there's plenty of oxygen in the submarine today. Can we go deep for a moment? We need to go deep. You know why? Do you know the number one killer of Christians? Bible illiteracy. Hosea says, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. So we could stay surface level, and it, it, I could really, I can preach a fire message on the surface, but today I just want to take us deep. All right, let's go. On the surface level, um, the Gospels appear to, you know, be simple stories for things like Christmas, right? Unto us a child is born, or a story of Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. He's alive. We see these stories, but understanding the Bible on the surface leads at best to shallow faith, and at worst, it leads to deception, heresy, and cults. Cults. Not like a horse you ride on, like C-U-L-T-S. Cults that will lead you straight to hell. I... I don't want to be in a cult. I don't want to be accountable for leading a cult. And I don't want you to be in a cult. No matter where life takes you in the future, I want you to step into any church and know if you are in a cult or a Bible-believing, Bible-knowing, Bible-reading church. Can I get a good amen from everybody? All right. So let me draw a timeline here. 
I have nine minutes. We're going to go deep in nine minutes. Buckle up, folks. This is a timeline. This was the creation of the world over there. This is uh, the, the end of humanity where we would begin our eternal state. Not, not you and I, but like society, civilization. All right, so we have the beginning um, of the world. Then we have Abraham. Then we have Moses. And under Moses, we have what is known as the law. Familiar? Okay. Then over here, oh, that was just so big. Over here, we have grace. Anybody saved by grace through faith? Come on. Yes, thank you, Jesus. I'm so glad that I live in this bubble, not in this bubble. And then over here we have, um, oh, I, uh, see, now that I feel rushed, I can't draw as good. We have something that I talk about often known as the rapture of the church, where those of us who are believers in Christ are instantly changed, and we're, we're caught up, those who are dead in Christ are caught up, and we have um, some period of, of tribulation. Most people would say seven years. Some people would say 14 years. Some people would say there is no tribulation. Uh, that's not the purpose of my talk today, so I'm not going to go there to prove that. We do know for sure at some point that Jesus is coming back on a white horse, coming in the clouds with the believers, and they are going to set up the thousand-year reign right here, the millennial reign. It's a thousand years. where Jesus rules with a rod of iron. He, he's loving, but he's not going to ask twice for someone to obey. If the Lord says to do something, it will be done because he's reigning for 1,000 years. Does that make sense? He'll be, a, he'll be a good king. You get the point. All right. Where now, my question is, where does the New Testament actually begin? Where does the New Testament actually begin? Let's take a poll. How many would say Matthew? Everyone feels like it's a trick question. Okay. Matthew kicks off the New Testament collection, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So if you were to say Matthew, you would be correct. If, if you were to say Mark, you would be correct. Luke, correct. John, correct. Um, the New Testament actually doesn't begin in Matthew 1.1. We know that because Hebrews 9.16 says that where there is a testament, there has to be the death of a testator. Okay? That, maybe that's confusing. So I pulled another translation, the message of that same verse. Where there's a testament, there has to be a death of the testator. And that translation says, like a will that takes effect when someone dies, the new covenant was put into action at Jesus' death. His death, marked the, his death marked the transition from the old plan to the new one, canceling the old obligations and accompanying sins, and summoning the heirs to receive the eternal inheritance that was promised them. 
he brought together God and his people in this new way. Where there is a New Testament, there has to be the death of a testator. We are living in the last will and testament of Jesus Christ. Do you understand? So when the blood was spilled, the New Testament began. So this, do you see this little arc here? It's a shorter arc. This is Jesus' ministry. Jesus' ministry goes up to the cross. And just before that, we've got a little arc. That is John the Baptist. Are you, are you, are you following me? So, um, we know that Galatians 4.4 tells us that Jesus was born under the law. This, this is really important for us to understand because w- when we don't understand this stuff, this is, this is how the creation of a cult happens. When we don't understand how doctrine unfolds, I know you came here today hoping to hear a sermon on how to make your marriage better. We'll get there. We'll get there. But today we got to get this, okay? Jesus, Galatians 4, was born under the law. That means during the time of the law, Jesus was born That does not mean that Jesus had to fulfill all the requirements of the law, okay? There are false teachers out there that will tell you Jesus had to do all of this, so you have to do all of this. Jesus didn't have to fulfill any requirements of the law. The law was to show Israel just how far away from God that they were. Jesus wasn't far away from God. He was God. We see in John 7 that the disciples had to go up to the Feast of Tabernacles and Jesus said, this is proper for you to do it, not for me. It's not my time. Jesus didn't go when everyone else had to go. Why? Because he was born during the time of the law, but not under the constraints of the law. Okay. And then before him was John the Baptist. Now, if this is true, we need to see what John the Baptist and Jesus preached because God was silent for 400 years right here. How many believe that in 400 years, God probably took a bit of time to evaluate how he was going to say, dear humans, right? Write that first letter. He probably took a little bit of time on how do I want to communicate? I've been silent so long. What do I want to do? We go to Matthew 3, 1 through 2. One through two says, In those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea and saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is here. What did John say? He said, Repent, the kingdom of heaven is here. Everybody say kingdom. Kingdom. All right, what we see unfolding before our eyes is the gospel of the kingdom. The gospel of the kingdom. I've got to describe that to you in the few minutes that I have. Then we see a chapter later in Matthew chapter 4 says, from that time, Jesus began to preach and say, repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Did Jesus also preach the gospel of the kingdom? Yes, he did. John the Baptist preached the gospel of the kingdom. Jesus preached the gospel of the kingdom. Now, who was Jesus speaking to when he preached? 
we see in Matthew 15 clearly who Jesus is speaking to. A Canaanite woman, a Gentile woman, comes up to Jesus and says, hey, my, my daughter is severely demon-possessed. <laughs> it wasn't just demon-possessed. She was severely. You know that's when parenting has gone wrong. She is severely demon-possessed. Jesus ignores her. Not because he's mean, but he's needing, he's needing to set a type and a foreshadow in place. He ignores her. And she asks again, the disciples come up to Jesus and say, will you please just answer her and send her away? She's, she's yelling at us. And, and Jesus responds and he says, it's not good to take the children's bread and give it to the little dogs. The Gentiles were being referenced to as little dogs. How do you like that, Gentiles? It's not good to give the children's bread. What was the children's bread? The message of the kingdom that Jesus was sent to deliver to the Jews was children's bread. And this Gentile's coming up asking for help, and Jesus ignores her, then says it's not good to give the children's bread to little dogs. And, and then she begins to declare and worship him and show her faith, and he is moved by her faith, and he heals her daughter. So Jesus' primary audience in the Gospels when he preaches is the house of Israel. This is so critical for us to understand and for us to get, or we misappropriate verses. We, we don't rightly divide. Second Timothy tells us to rightly divide the word of God. How do we know that Jesus' main audience was the Jews? He said it himself in Matthew 15, 24. I've not been sent except to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He says, I know the world is, there's a whole world of people, but my mission is this. My focus is this. I know some of us are already now like bracing ourselves. We feel a bit offended, right? Because we were a Gentile and we weren't Jesus' first choice. We weren't his mission. What are you talking about? We're going to get there, but we got to understand this first. Much of what Jesus taught was directly to the Jews, which actually creates a massive theological problem for people who say they only read the red letters. You ever met someone that ignores the entire Bible and they say, I only read what Jesus wrote? Are you a Jew? Because it matters. The words that Jesus wrote isn't a false gospel. It's just insufficient for all. And we know that to be true because 2 Timothy 3.16 tells us that all Scripture is used and useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness. So clearly we know that Jesus is God. He's the hero of this story. But if you're only reading the words of Jesus, your theology is insufficient. Okay? I'm going to help you if you stay with me. We need to understand what this gospel of the kingdom is. And I'm already over. I wonder how quick, are, are you a sharp class? Can I go quickly and just hit highlights? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to pull out a bunch of stuff. Um, I'm, there are two arms to the kingdom. It's the kingdom of God. I'm going to, just for time's sake, KOG and kingdom of heaven. All right. We see in scripture that Jesus teaches about primarily the kingdom of heaven, 
but we also see kingdom of God. Many, many scholars will tell you it's the same, kingdom of God, kingdom of heaven. Many, many scholars will tell you they're different. Kingdom of God is different than kingdom of heaven. Your pastor will tell you, yes, they're, they're the same and different. And, and I'm going to show you how that is and why that is. What is the definition of the kingdom of God? We find that in Romans 14, verse 17. It says, for the kingdom of God is not eating or drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. What is eating and drinking? That's the physical realm. The kingdom of God is not the physical realm, but instead it is peace, joy, and righteousness in the Holy Spirit. So we know from Romans 14, 17, that the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. It's not something that you can see with your eyes. And I'll prove that to you even further because Luke 17, 20 21 says, now when he was asked by the Pharisees when the kingdom of God would come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God does not come with observation, nor will they say, see here or see there, for indeed the kingdom of God is within you. So the kingdom that Jesus came to preach encapsulated this one arm that is the kingdom of God, and what we understand is that it's not visible with the eyes. It is a spiritual kingdom. Let's look at what Jesus said in John 3. 3, Jesus answered and said to them, most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You cannot see the spiritual transformation unless you be born again. And being born again is placing your faith in Jesus Christ, repenting, which doesn't mean, by the way, it doesn't mean feeling sorry for what you've done. Your emotions don't matter. Repenting means turning and changing your mind. What you once thought was right, when you see Jesus, you realize you were wrong. That is a repentant heart. Those of us, I'm getting ahead of myself, but those of us who are in Christ Jesus, you don't need to repent every day. Hopefully, you don't need to say, I repent Jesus, your Lord again. If, if that's happening, you may not be saved. What you might be doing every day is, Lord, I'm sorry, I really, I shouldn't have said that to that person. I shouldn't have been so short-tempered. Help me with that. But you're not changing your mind that you already know that that was wrong and you already know that you're forgiven. You already know that your salvation is secure in Jesus. Repentance is a, a turning and knowing. Being born again is a spiritual experience. Listen, Jesus mostly preached about the kingdom of heaven. Lord, show me how I can simplify this. The kingdom of God is opposite kingdom of man, God, man. Kingdom of heaven is opposite kingdom of earth, heaven, earth. There is a time appointed by God when the kingdom of heaven will come down 
from heaven. And it will be a physical, tangible kingdom. When Jesus said, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. He was really referencing the promise to the Jews who had for generations been reading about a Messiah who was going to come and be their ruler and their king. And they even thought that they were going to overthrow the Roman government. Yeah. And so Jesus is preaching this message to the Jews because that's his audience about a soon coming kingdom, kingdom of heaven. But there's a second part to the kingdom. And after Jesus died and he finished his earthly ministry, we see him focus more heavily on the kingdom of God. In fact, he goes to the disciples in Acts chapter 1. He presents himself to the disciples after the suffering by many infallible proofs being seen by them during 40 days and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. So Jesus turns to the disciples and begins to speak to them regarding the things of God, the kingdom of God. Now what I hope to show you next time I preach is that the Jews didn't understand Jesus was coming twice. This time he came as a lamb. And the prophecies that they had overlooked declared that the Messiah had to first suffer before the kingdom of heaven could come. So when they saw him suffer, they thought for sure he can't be the king. Remember he rode in on a colt and they said, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, the king of Israel. They were so excited because they thought he was, he was the king. They didn't realize he had to come as a lamb first, but there is a day where he's coming as the lion as the king of kings, above all kings. So the Jewish mindset was we want a king to rule over us. We want the kingdom of heaven. Here's what I'm going to show you next time I preach. Well, first, let me wrap up with this. The kingdom represents two phrases, an inward phase and an outward phase. The kingdom of God is an inward transformation that happens. This is one of the times that Jesus spoke that is directly to you, Matthew 6, But seek first the kingdom of God, and all these other things will be added unto you. Bef in other words, before you try to change the world, seek first this internal transformation of humility of peace, of joy, of the fruits of the Spirit. He's speaking directly to you and I, of the kingdom of God, this in internal transformation of kingdom. There are two branches of kingdom. It's inward and outward. So the Gospels paint the picture that Jesus is the king, the king, kingdom of heaven. And Jesus is God. When you know that Jesus is God, there is an internal transformation that begins to take place. And someday, 
And, and thankfully, everywhere you walk, you, you bring a little bit of kingdom with you. But there's coming a day when this entire earth, when every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus is king. Jesus' message, the gospel of the kingdom, was the message of, I am. I am God. I am king. Now this, this is my final closing statement, I promise you, for real. The next time I preach, I'm going to go through the book of Acts with you. A-C-T-S. Because this is, it is the biggest transitional book in the entire Bible. If you don't understand the book of Acts, your whole doctrine is messed up. It's how to get saved is wrong if you don't understand. Many people, many churches are preaching the gospel of the kingdom that, that is moved out of fear of God rather than understanding that there's a, a transition that takes place right here. And I'm going to teach this to you in two weeks. Here, the apostles have a doctrine. It's, it's called the apostles' doctrine. I'm going to break that down to you. And then Paul, the apostle Paul, has a doctrine. And I'm going to show you how we transition from the gospel of the kingdom to the gospel of grace in the entire book of Acts. Listen, the whole reason you and I are even saved and have the option to be followers of Jesus is because the Jews rejected God three times. Next time I'm going to prove to you and show you how they rejected the Father, they rejected the Son, and in Acts, they rejected the Holy Spirit. And when they did, God pivoted, and he sent this message to the Gentiles and made a way for you and I to come into kingdom living by grace through faith. Heavenly Father, I ask that you would be with us as we move from here. God, I thank you for the gospels I thank you, God, that it is all about who Jesus is. Who Jesus is. He is God and he is king. I thank you, God, that you're just stirring within us a passion to know your word. To dig a little bit deeper, to solidify and to know why we believe what we believe. And so, Father, as we see you more clearly, as we see the identity of Jesus, who you are through the gospels, more clearly, oh God, we get the overflow and our own identity is solidified. We can see ourselves more clearly as we see you. So Father, if there's anyone watching online or in this room today that wants to put their faith and their hope in Jesus Christ, true hope of our salvation. Father, will you just move on them today? God, we just declare that we're sinners in need of a Savior. We thank you for the gospel message of Jesus Christ coming to this earth, dying on a cross, raising again on the third day for our sins so that we could be in relationship with you, Lord. And if we believe that in our heart, the epistles tell us, 1 Corinthians 15, 1 through 4 tells us that if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, 
that we are children and heirs of God. So God, we believe, we place our faith in you. In Jesus' name I pray. Let the church say amen. If you just said that prayer today, please text NEXT, N-E-X-T, to 512-980-1220. God bless you. Have a great week.